Well, guys, before we start here, I think we actually have to issue a massive apology um, to the Vancouver Whitecaps, who we chirped real bad on last week's show, uh, but who nonetheless ended up coming up big for Toronto FC this past week. Uh, yes, after a wild week in Canadian soccer circles, the Reds will face Forge FC in the final of the 2020 Canadian Championship. When or where, we don't know that yet, but uh, we'll talk a little bit about that a bit later on in this week's jam-packed edition of Waking the Red Weekly. My name is Mitchell Tierney. Our former Waking the Red overlord, Charlie O'Connor-Clark, will be our guest on this week's show uh, from canpl.ca. He'll join us to talk all things island games plus more. Uh, But first, guys, we hope you're enjoying our new virtual digs, our new studio here. Um, Jeff Nesker, of course, celebrating uh, Forge's big win. Oh, yes, indeed. I brought out the big guns, Mitchell. Won't be wearing that in a couple months, I imagine, when uh, they play Toronto FC. <laughs> months, we'll get do, Jeff's. Do you know something I don't? <laughs> months. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, and uh, Michael Singh, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good, Mitch. Thanks for having me, obviously, again. Um, JPN, I love the third jersey there. Thank you, thank you. I got the collar right after you uh, asked me to adjust it earlier, and so I'm feeling good again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think we we should start this week's show probably by rewinding all the way to last wednesday toronto fc taking on or rather not toronto fc the vancouver whitecaps taking on uh montreal impact in a game that had massive implications for toronto fc montreal all they needed was a win um in order to get through to their second straight uh voyagers cup final but uh, of course Things did not go at all to plan. Rudy Camacho, knee punch, will now go down in uh, Voyager's Cup lore in a way that so many moments have before. Uh, I guess we'll start with you, Michael. Um, Your thoughts on a match that, I mean, we we said it. These things always end in a crazy way, but I don't think I expected it to go down quite like that. Uh, Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, Toronto-Montreal in a Canadian championship you know something's going down. But as you said, we just didn't know it would be Rudy Camacho being our hero. I think we're all kind of hoping that the Vancouver Whitecaps would be the ones that would, uh, you know, come through with kind of play hero for us. But (laughs) little do we know, Rudy Camacho in the, what was it, like the 40th minute there. I can't, I couldn't believe it. I was kind of half asleep during that game. Um, It was late at night. So, and then all of a sudden Rudy Camacho goes for this, this karate chop or whatever it was on this guy's leg. And I was wide awake from that point on. And I was happy to see Vancouver, you know, come out on top and shout out Freddie Montero as well, because he's, he was fantastic. And I think he followed it up this week with another great performance. So yeah, let's go Vancouver Whitecaps, right? Yeah. 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 Week two of a uh, Vancouver Whitecaps fan blog. Um, one, one thing I, I, I will mention is that we need to will this in existence. That move is the Rudy Camacho, uh, Camacho double, double uh, considering the, the, the gift he gave to Nick DeLeon the, the game before. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Double agent for TFC three cheers for, for Rudy uh, TFC secret weapon. That was a, uh, that was a hell of a game. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I, I expected to be a lot more angry the day after than I was. So, uh, it, that, that day was gravy for me. Yeah. Shout out to the white caps. I mean, again, we said one of the most confusing teams probably in MLS right now, but a couple wins last week, uh, all of a sudden they're in a playoff spot and, you know, looking at least in, at least decent in, in the MLS Western conference, but, um, let's talk about what's now 
going to be a very interesting final because um, as we heard last week on our sister show, Footy Talks Live, it, it sounds like it's going to be a while before this game gets played. Toronto FC looking to have it played after their season, which I think makes the most sense considering you know all sorts of different factors that we have right now in scheduling sports during these COVID times. But that presents a game that, you know, it is so intriguing on multiple different levels, isn't it, Jeff? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm prepared to wait. I mean, I know trying to divine the future, a uh, uh, COVID-free future is a fool's errand. But, you know, there's been a lot of ideas uh, thrown around about how this can happen quicker. One is, of course, playing it in the States. Uh, one is um, taking into account that the temperatures in December and January aren't going to be the most agreeable for outdoor soccer. Uh, that being said, um, I have frozen my absolute soul off BMO for, uh, and I'm willing to do it again. Uh, I just, I just think. Uh, so people were saying, you know, maybe they play it at at, at uh, BMO training ground in an indoor bubble, and that would that would hurt my soul. I mean, if there was ever a game that deserves fans in some capacity, it's this one. Uh, and I think I also mentioned that considering that uh, uh, COVID soccer has opened the floodgates for just about every VR company in the world to bid on some kind of virtual stadium kind of thing, if they played it in an indoor bubble, do you not think that the entire floor to ceiling of that of that interior space would be plastered with some kind of virtual ad scheme that would be distracting and we would lose the ball all the time? So yeah, it's just, it's double negatives for me. I, I realize that, um, there, there's a distinct possibility that, that this is going to get played in, in less than ideal situations at a less than ideal time. But uh, I'm still holding on hope that, that, you know, the fates align and this becomes maybe this is the, you know, the first game that uh, that we all go back to as fans. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, I mean, that would signify just the, the move in Canada soccer that kind of cap it off really nicely. Just what a year it's been. And you know, Canada soccer being at that forefront for fans to start coming back to, to games in Canada. That'd be kind of cool. But yeah, there is a, that reality that it probably isn't going to happen, um, especially considering that it'll be winter too when this, these games might get played in, in the middle of December. What about a cold night in December at BMO Field? How about that again? That would be mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just just listen to Bill Manning on our on Footy Talks, I guess, this earlier this week or last week, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and him talking about the potential of a, a Canadian Championship final in December, January. Um, I feel like it, it was discussed beforehand, obviously, but with the Canadian Premier League clubs and Canada Soccer and obviously Toronto FC and Montreal Impact and Vancouver Whitecaps were obviously in that discussion as well. Um, and the reason why it has to be played after the MLS season is just because TFC are not going to have any time to come back and have a 14-day quarantine and then play games, right? TFC are looking at a schedule right now where they're going to be playing a midweek game and then a game on the weekend for the rest of the year. We obviously don't know what the official schedule looks like, but that that's what we're hearing right now from the club. Mm-hmm. And um, you take into account the travel in the United States as well, and there's just there's just no time to fit in the game and fit in that 14 day quarantine that would have to happen if TFC returned to Canada and try to play a game let alone the match fitness that they'd need after the 14-day quarantine, the game sharpness, stuff like that. So you're looking another three weeks after uh, returning from the States. The alternative, I guess, would have been to send the Canadian Premier League team down to the States. Um, I, again, I don't, just don't know if there's if there's any time, but I can understand where the frustration is coming from, from both or from the Forge fan base, I guess, 
who are complaining about you know their team not being in shape etc having a new look team and which i understand but man these are the times you got to adjust jpn what what would you like to well i mean i'm going to quote the 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 stats goat martin bailey here because i don't think anybody put it uh more eloquently than he did um we're talking about issues of of team shape and form in CONCACAF. I mean, <laughs> are you new? <laughs> uh, you know, that's CONCACAF, right? Like MLS teams have been raging against the dying of this light for as long as this tournament's been going on. I mean, we face Liga MX squads that are that are five weeks into, into their season, if not more. So they're rounding into form and we're freezing cold. I mean, we've, we barely had a chance to see the pitch yet before we have bottles of urine thrown at us. So I don't understand the frustration, if I'm being honest. It seems... It seems a little bit. Um, uh, it, ju- it just seems a little bit misplaced because the the reality of of Concacaf is that these fairness doesn't exist. It ju- it hasn't in the before times, and to expect that it would in the in the in the post COVID times, during the COVID times, is insane. So I, I think it's a whole lot of grinding metal, personally. Yeah, what I would add is I would be surprised if this game gets played in Toronto. I think, you know, as as you guys have both alluded to, there's been a, a lot of talk about how the MLS side, Toronto FC, gets the big advantage here and have been throwing their weight around. And uh, I think there's going to be an appetite to play this game somewhere else, um, potentially somewhere out on the West Coast. Um, you know, I think, it, I think it just makes a lot more sense to have a neutral venue in this case versus playing it at BMO field as much as, you know, I think, I think that would be a lot of fun, certainly for, for us here. Uh, we would enjoy that. But uh, I, I think, you know, in, in the idea of some semblance of fairness, I think this might end up being played at uh, a neutral venue somewhere. Although, you know, as, as I said, it's, it's, or as Jeff said, it's a kind of a fool's errand right now to try and predict anything that's going on right now. Um, let's let's move on quickly to um, the the MLS game Toronto FC played this week, and um, a, a very different discussion. You know, certainly in, in terms of uh, um, you know the the happiness that everyone shared at them getting to the Voyagers Cup final. But um, I think a good stat this week uh, from the stats go again. Martin Bailey saying that Toronto FC have now conceded fifty times in their history in the eighty fifth minute or later. That's 9.3% of all Toronto FC matches end in them allowing a late goal. And um, certainly this season has added to that a couple of times now. Um, We'll start with you, Michael. Your your thoughts on, you know, yet another match that got away from Toronto FC. Yeah, I feel like there was just like a million different storylines within that. The match started before the game, I guess, with Toronto FC, Greg Vanny opting to to run out Eric Z there at center back. Um, and you know, I, I'll start with my thoughts on Eric Zavaleta, you know, he had a shaky start, but I honestly thought he came into, in, into his own that game and, um, he, he settled down and, you know, he did what was asked of him. Um, he obviously wasn't on the pitch when Toronto FC conceded that equalizer. So we can't point fingers at Eric Z, even though we like to almost every time we can, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, shout out to him because he, he had a great performance, so first and foremost. Um, secondly, uh, Griffin Yao, the 17-year-old from D.C. United who who scored that equalizer. Um, you know, D.C. Run, ran out a couple of teenagers on their pitch, uh, you know, against Toronto FC there, and they, they were hanging in their own. And um, while TFC obviously did dictate that match and dominated that match as they should because – 
based on the amount of injuries that DC had and just based on the fact that TFC are a better side, they should dominate that match. Um, but shout out to the 17-year-old who comes on and equalizes that game, steps up to the moment. I mean, I feel like he was involved the, the entire time he was on too. So it goes to show that if you have some youngsters in, in, in your you know academy that are talented, they can make a difference at this level. So uh, maybe that's a little hint, hint, nudge, nudge to Greg Vanny over here. And we have some youngsters youngsters coming up in Toronto FC. We saw what uh, – Kind of getting a little t- off topic here. We saw Jordan Peruza did at uh, the USL. Oh, what 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 a double that was! Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we can talk about that more because I'm sure there's a lot to break down with that. Just getting back to the game, and then you want to go back to that league equalizer. Um, oh man, it, I, I Greg Vanny dropped to a five at the five at the back, three at the back, whatever you want to call it. But there are three center backs now playing, um, and he said he cited a lack of, of midfield depth for that reason. Everyone watching that game, including the commentator, Stephen Caldwell was wondering why you sort of make that decision and sort of your team's playing well, you're dictating pace, you know, you're controlling the midfield. Why take someone out of that? And, you know, I guess shore up the back there um, because well, all of that does, it sort of allows DC United now to, to gain moments where they can, they can counter, they can, they have more space on the field to come at you, right? Um, so I felt like that was an important moment for, for Greg Vanny to, you know, alter in, in the match. And it came back to bite TFC, obviously, when, when all three, Quinton Westberg, uh, it was, I think it was Omar Gonzalez and Chris Mavinga all went for the same ball. And it was Griffin Yao who put the ball in the back of the net. So um, yep. another late equalizer conceded by TFC. And it, it's a little worrying, as, as I think Mitch, you kind of touched on. Yeah, uh, I think I asked this uh, in in our chat, and I'm going to paraphrase myself, but what European super smart squad is Greg Vanny emulating with these these formation changes and personnel changes at the 88th minute? Because I've watched a lot of soccer over the last couple of months, and I can't remember another top-of-the-line coach, elite squad making wholesale changes like that. Like, if you're going to park the bus, do it with the guys that you have on the field. You know what I mean? It just – and I would argue uh, TFC is not a park-the-bus kind of team. But, you know, adding adding uh, uh, more intrigue in terms of a total switchover to fresh legs to close out a game, has that ever worked for us? Ever? Once? I'm trying to think. I, I don't know if it has. Um, uh, I do want to say that, that I got a, a private chat message that Charlie's ready to go. So if we want to bring him on earlier uh, – you know, choose your fighter. But uh, that's my point on, on, on the Vanny mess until we get to talk about it with Charlie for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I will. I, I will say it's, uh, you know, it's a good thing they won the Voyager's Cup. I'll, I'll say that because this, this week looks very different if they don't. Um, there, there's a bit of a glass half full in the sense that they now have a decent amount of time. You know, they're, they're pretty firmly in a playoff position right now. Um, obviously, I think, you know, Probably what has happened so far might have cost them a chance at the supporters' shield, but the, the supporters' shields—I I don't know if it's worth what it's been worth in the past. In, in terms of you know, there's going to be a ton of asterisks related to any supporters' shield winner this year. So um, if there was a year to miss out on it, I think this might have been the one. But um, yeah, like I said, there there is the proof that they can turn this around in last year where. You know, halfway through the year, we were having kind of similar discussions, and then they were 
over the course of the season able to to put together a good run and and figure things out. And, you know, last year, I feel like that did kind of cost them the Voyager's Cup because they really had to try and make the playoffs first and foremost over the mm-hmm. second half of the season. But this year, they already have that cup in their back pocket. So, uh, you know, if you want to look at the glass uh, half full, you know, kind of angle on all this, it's that. It's that they do now have a bit of time to to try and figure things out and, and put themselves in a best position. Obviously, Toronto FC is one of those clubs that that always wants to be better than than what they've shown so far this year. But, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think they do at least have a, have a decent opportunity here to turn things around. But as you said, I think Charlie is here. So we'll bring him on momentarily to, to talk about the Island games, but, um, Oh, oh there he is. Oh, wow. oh, oh. Mr. Now, Villa man. in the house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tony Gallagher, super fan himself. There we go. <laughs> What's Hi, going guys. on, Charlie? Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm trying to figure out what to do with myself now that uh, now that the island games are over. <laughs> it was a busy. It was yeah. a busy little stretch for you guys, though, and what a stretch it was. Mm-hmm. Um, just talk to us a little bit about like what a success, I guess, overall the games were. Yeah, I mean, I, it was definitely a wild ride. I think it was like six weeks and 35 games and. Every coach was like, "Oh my God, we're playing every three days, and we're all exhausted." But it was it was really awesome to just have it all going down. I think most of the games, at least, were were really entertaining. I think like it was really competitive. Like we didn't really have uh, kind of what happened in last year's CPL season, where two teams are just a cut above the rest of them, right? So I think there was there was just a lot that was kind of enjoyable. Just especially if you're a casual fan, I think they were just fun soccer games. I don't know if you guys felt the same but i mean i guess i'm biased i i had a really great time watching them all i mean me too i i also enjoyed the math and the and the 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 sort of dark cloud of chaos that was hanging over all the results uh you know how many one one draws can you have and and how many teams in first place uh can exist was i think the question of the day um but congratulations certainly uh zero positive tests is absolutely fantastic. I mean, that's kind of the gold standard for 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 bubble games at this point. Uh, and uh, having it go off without a hitch in these troubled times is not easy. Uh, and so I don't. I think that can't be overstated. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it it really did come off a lot. I don't want to like not smoother than we expected, but maybe when you go into something with so many moving parts, you might expect something to to hit a snag at some point. But mm-hmm. it did seem like everything. Everything went extremely smoothly. I mean, all of the all the people that have come back from the bubble now have been kind of just thanking each other for <laughs> the work that they did. And it does sound like I, I wasn't obviously in PEI, but I was kind mm. of on the periphery. Um, and it sounds like everything was really working really smoothly. I think maybe after the first couple of games, they sort of started to to hit a rhythm. Like you'd you go to training on this day, you'd kind of you'd be on the bus at X time, you come back, you'd do your your press conferences, and then you'd have your your shower and go to bed at like. 1 a.m. Atlantic time, but it does sound like like the players kind of settled into it, um, and we didn't really have a lot of a lot of complaints from anybody. I mean, I'm I'm sure that they would have liked to get out in PEI because obviously it's it's beautiful there. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it does sound like they did a couple times. Like I I heard there are some kind of private beach visits and things that some of the teams got to go on excursions to. Yeah, but like every, everybody just seemed to be kind of so happy that we actually had a, a season of any form mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. it was it was really hard to complain about anything so i think it was like credit to to all the work that that everybody at, at from all the clubs and and the league higher up than me kind of put in to 
to pull it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of PEI, we've got a question from from Tej, uh, fellow WTR-er, and I think I'll just read it off my uh, my printout here. Uh, oh, there you go. We got it out. Oh, wow. Look at our fancy new uh, digs here. Oh, it's so fancy. <laughs> we, brought, it. we brought these on just because uh, just you were coming on. <laughs> yeah, this is this is amazing. Do I have to read that? I do. You uh, no, I'll read it. I'll read it. Hold on. <laughs> uh, do you think this tournament, with all of its success, leaves any lasting legacy in Prince Edward Island? Could this possibly spark an interest in a future CPL franchise there? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting question. And I was kind of, I, I was kind of thinking about it earlier because I think... Like, Tej might have mentioned it to us a little earlier as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's it's a fascinating question. I think for, for what it's worth, there probably already was a little bit of interest in a, a future CPL franchise. I mean, I obviously, I'm not in those discussions, but I think what it sounds like, they, they're definitely people interested. And just, we did kind of see the island embrace the, the CPL. They seemed really happy to kind of have this, this pro sports event on, on their island. I think there was plenty of local coverage about it. Um, and then maybe the most important part was you had, uh, I think it was midway through the tournament, they, they were able to allow some kind of youth soccer players in to watch the games as fans. Um, I think it started at 50, and by the, the final, I think it was about 100 people uh, who could come in. and I, They were all cheering for Halifax, I think, obviously. Um, <laughs> but just just to have these kind of local kids and, and PEI locals coming in to watch these games, they all seemed to, to kind of embrace it and kind of maybe learn a lot about about what professional soccer can be in Canada. Um, so I, I do think that that it's uh, it's possible. I mean, Halifax isn't a massive market either, and that's mm -hmm. worked really well out there, right? With their, their obviously, their awesome stadium and their, their packed fan stands all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I don't want to say no to PEI. I mean, I, I think it would be really cool out there. Yeah, me too. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned the the quality of competition throughout the throughout the island games, Charlie. I thought that culminated really well in the final, which probably was one of the best Canadian Premier League games I've ever watched. To be honest, I think just the the technical ability of the two sides and and just the way you know the the way the game was played out tactically, I thought was was fantastic. Uh, what are your thoughts on you know Forge going back to back and and the fight that Halifax put up? Because you know I think in some ways that was equally as impressive considering mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where they were this time last year. Yeah, it was it was a heck of a game. I think especially in the second half, but it was it was kind of the tactical chess match. I think we expected it to be and and. Forge's Forge's coach Bobby Smirniotis, uh obviously had the upper hand there because he kind of he drilled his team to to kind of take away exactly what Halifax likes to do, which is to to press you and to to hit you on the counter and to play very direct. Uh, but Forge just gave them the ball, right? And you can't really counterattack when when they're just going to let you have the ball in your own half. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And I think I think it kind of speaks to to what Bobby Smyrniotis has been able to do with this club over, over two years. Like they are incredibly tactically flexible. They have, I mean, they, I think I've said it a few times, they played a different front three in every single game in PEI, right. With 11 different players mm -hmm. uh, kind of taking a, taking a job in there, which is just nuts for a team that scored the most goals in the tournament. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and he's like, he's, he's just kind of, managed to to build this system and whenever he talks about it he's very vague about it he'll he'll talk about it like there's a way we like to play and we we see some things in the other team and he's never very specific but you can always kind of figure it out like they they always have a very specific plan and it never ever ever seems to not work out for them at this point 
but then yeah obviously we we want to give a lot of credit to Halifax as well who were last place last year um even though I think if they if a couple of those draws they had a lot of them had gone the other way maybe it's a different story mm-hmm. but they played some some of the most entertaining soccer in PEI like they had a lot of quality in their front three I mean Akeem Garcia was good money to either score or be offside every time he had the ball <laughs> which is kind of kind of fun from a striker so it was yeah it was I think as you said Mitch it was just a fascinating game from from both teams who played some really good soccer against each other yeah Charlie where does that uh that leave forge kind of heading into this this final I know Canadian Premier League fans are a little bit upset um that a potential date might have to wait until the MLS season's done um just what I guess first of all what are your thoughts on that um the, I guess a delayed final date and then how do you see that matchup going down overall the Forge versus TFC yeah I, I mean in terms of the date like obviously it is what it is I think you guys kind of hit the nail on the head earlier when I was peeking in at, I mean there's nothing you can really do right you can't really you can't really be a choosing beggar if you're given this ticket to a a Canadian Championship final, which you maybe didn't expect a CPL team to be in for a few years. Um, but in terms of the game itself, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, to be honest. Just based on what what I kind of just said about uh, Forge and, and Bobby Smirniotis, kind of the way that they're extremely tactically flexible. Just the thought of the thought of Bobby having like whatever it's going to be three months or so to plan specifically for TFC to just watch what TFC is doing and be like. We're, when they do that, we're going to do this to them. Um, just over three months is kind of fascinating to me because I'm sure that he'll have some kind of trick. Because I think we even we even saw in the in the final here, we saw them kind of practicing a little bit their their counterattacking game, which is mm-hmm. definitely something that they could they could lean on against TFC. And they do have. It's not like Forge doesn't have any soccer between between now and uh and the oh no they, they certainly have some soccer <laughs> they gotta they gotta play the soccer piggies in yep. october yeah um, yeah uh i mean we were we were all fawning endlessly over their their club badge on on the twitter yesterday it's absolutely delightful um i'm not sure if we're going to see them i did give uh sophia pictures of both the logos including the uh the alternate uh uh pig with gains logo but uh <laughs> but maybe we won't see them <laughs> and uh, maybe i'll just tweet about them later but uh yeah uh that looks to be a, a hell of a fun game and uh yeah uh, do we know when that is it's in october right yeah i don't think the date has been set but i think we're pretty sure it's kind of mid to late october and it'll be on the road so it sounds like forge has to has to head down to el salvador to play that game fantastic um, which will be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I think if they do advance, they play Tauro, who I think are, are they from Panama. They've got I, a crappier badge, so I don't care. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're actually quite a quite a, a good team who I think we've seen in, in the CONCACAF Champions League a few times. Yeah, um, I think that, TFC's definitely played them before. Yeah, and, and I think maybe lost to them. Um, in, in the second round, that'll also be on the road. Uh, but CONCACAF League is something that... that Forge talks about a lot. Um, they kind of, I, I think Bobby Smirniotis even this morning on a, a radio hit somewhere was talking about how he thinks that that was part of the reason they won their championship last year. Just mm. being able to to go toe-to-toe with, with a big team like Olympia um, and kind of, well, at least beat them in the first leg and then kind of crumble in the second on the road. But that's, that's obviously a really valuable experience that uh, I think maybe gets a little underrated. 
Indeed. Uh, I, I'm going to move to my second question because it looks like we're going to go back to TFC. We're going to circle back to TFC. Um, where would you love to see the CPL in five years? This is a job five interview, years. Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> if you could pick an animal that the CPL is, wouldn't you? <laughs> I truncated years. my I truncated the meaner part because I don't want to get him in trouble. So I just I, I, <laughs> yeah. Um, in five years, what's that? That's twenty twenty five. So a year. I don't know. Five years, whatever. A year before the World Cup. Um, it's a good shout. Yeah, it'll it'll be fun. I I really hope that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not the, the commissioner, and he gets asked that question a lot, and he'll say, I want to have, like, X teams in the league. I know that, I know that obviously, expansion is, is important uh, to, to the league, so we're hoping to maybe have some more kind of cities join the fun by then. But just in terms of the quality of play, um, I mean, it can only – I really only expect it to go up, and it's already at a, a pretty good level. Um, so I think we'll start to see maybe clubs a little bit more entrenched as – maybe respected sources of, of young talent development, like when clubs start maybe selling some more players, especially in this off season, which I think we're going to talk about later. Um, clubs start clubs start maybe developing guys that, that kind of will get their national team uh, opportunities and, and move on to higher levels. And I think the CPL will be a little bit more respected in that sense as, as kind of a, a developmental league. I mean, obviously a professional league, but mm-hmm. a league that can, that can produce really good young talent. I kind of see him on your, on your wall behind you, but how much of a difference does Fonzie and Jonathan <laughs> David make on, on the Canadian Premier League? And how, how much of an impact, I guess, are they going to have uh, in terms of, you know, maybe some teams overseas scouting the Canadian Premier League more? Yeah. Yeah, I think was there was there a story we heard kind of a, a month or so ago about about uh, Barcelona passing on Davies just because he was Canadian, yeah, yeah. or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen anymore, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, you do have to have to think that um, it changes things a little bit. Like you, like not necessarily. I'm not saying that a CPL player is going to be bought by like uh, like Barcelona or, or Bayern Munich. Or anything like that. This is awesome. I mean, we did, did see the uh, play of the Dutch play. Second night. Are we good? Am I back? Yeah, you're back. Yeah, I think yeah. you're back now. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. My internet might. Yeah, I think my internet might have dropped out for a second. Um, no, yeah, no, really. We have seen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we we saw Emilio Estevez sold to to a club in the Dutch top flight this past uh, this past winter. It felt like a long time ago. Um, so it's happening. It is starting to happen. Like we're seeing clubs kind of around the world, kind of kind of at least pay attention to Canada. And there's a lot more in Canada to pay attention to now, which is also important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, since we are uh, of course a, a Toronto FC show, I think uh, TFC fans will will want to hear in particular of how three. Uh, Three young players did in the Canadian Premier League this year. Um, Julian Dunn, Tariq Mohammed, and of course Dante Campbell all uh, getting loaned out to the Canadian Premier League. What were your thoughts on on some of their performances and maybe um, you know coming back into the Toronto FC fold, especially Dunn, who is a, a first team player, mm-hmm. of course. Um, you know what what this might mean for them going forward. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there are four actually because there's Robert Boscovich. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, um, man. <laughs> Shout Sorry, out. Robert. Former Ryerson, too. 
That's all right. Okay. So yeah, I think it was kind of a bit of like there, there was kind of, there's some ups and downs here. Obviously Julian Dunn, I think was one of the most impressive young players in the tournament bar none. Like, I mean, he was nominated for under 21 player of the year. He kind of came in to, to Valor's back line, which was in 2019, the worst defense in the league and made it, probably in the top three this year, him and, and Andrew Jean-Baptiste kind of came in. And, and to be able to to step into a new club like that, where you don't know anybody, he, he arrived fairly late and start every game and play that well at that age is really, really impressive. And I think he was, he was playing under a lot of pressure in games with pretty high stakes because Valor was kind of right in the, in the top four race until the last weekend. So you got to be extremely happy with him. Um, Campbell, Dante Campbell didn't play quite as much of a role at Valor as Dunn did, uh, but he kind of did a job. He was pretty versatile. He, he played, I think, on both uh, both fullback positions because they just had so many injuries, uh, and he played a little bit in the middle, uh, but he was kind of versatile and did what he was asked. Uh, we got we to gotta talk about Tariq Muhammad at Edmonton, who mm-hmm. took that difficult red card in, in one of the games against Calvary. Which that's, that's that's always disappointing, and it was kind of a disappointing tournament for the team all around. Uh, but he was he looked all right in in some of his some of his games. Uh, he kind of he did manage to win his way back into the side, which is is good after if you're a young player that kind of makes a makes a dumb decision like that to earn a red card. You you want to make sure that they they are working to get back in, and he did eventually. I think he played in their their last two games. He looked pretty good and. Uh, and Boscovich too. Like he he played a way bigger role for Cavalry than I think I expected, because they chose to go with three at the back, and he pretty much was there most of the time. They had they had so, like tons of injuries across the squad. They had uh, a couple of suspensions. I think uh, Jay Wielden was suspended for one of their playoff games. So Boscovich <laughs> had to had to step in and and play two of their their three group stage games, and he he didn't really set a foot wrong particularly i mean especially playing against or playing alongside some really established center backs in the league who will know each other really well he had dominic zator and and mason trafford and and mm-hmm. uh and and so on kind of playing next to him so he did fit in pretty well i mean obviously there is kind of growing pains because he's much younger and didn't quite know the system entirely but he did pretty well i think for for what you could have expected from him is that okay? <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Jazz. yeah, that's pretty perfect. I think we've, we've I mean, seeing as uh, we've got a former managing editor of WTR on, I think we're, we're doing a disservice if we don't flip over to the TFC side of the coin. And I think I'll open it up. Um, you were the managing editor in 2018, which mm-hmm. uh, was pretty much the Mount Rushmore of Vanny outtakes. Uh, so, other than seen, his first week on the job, yeah, other than his first week on the job, we've seen a lot of Vanny outtakes uh, this weekend. Um, please explain to us and all of our viewers why this isn't 2018. <laughs> well, I mean, for one thing, they're they're in a playoff spot. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I like. Yeah, when I when I whenever I hear these kind of takes, it's just so kind of knee jerk to me. Like it seems like people will will only kind of look at maybe the last game or so. And I think it's it's been tough to to judge this year as a whole. I think just because of how fragmented it's been. But like, 
I, I understand people's frustration sometimes. So do because, I. Yeah, because like you do see all of these kind of just decisions where he kind of tries to outthink himself and and tries to switch something up or throw the other team a curveball when their fastball is striking them out every time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I I it does seem it is frustrating in that sense, but I think you gotta look at the bigger picture. I mean, if you have players coming in, I think was it did Tony Gallagher come in from Liverpool and talk about how good a coach he thought Greg Vanny was? Yep. I mean I mean that's uh, like kinda. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. He didn't. He complimented his system. Else. Oh, okay. he complimented his system. So there's that. <laughs> I, I, I don't want. He didn't say too much about Vanny himself, but he did praise Vanny's system, saying it's very similar to Liverpool's mm-hmm. and the way that they play and the way that they want to press and stuff like that. Um, it's very interesting that you have this kind of conversation right now, just because Greg Vanny's contract is coming up at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a story that's not really talked about as much, uh, just because, you know, there's so much uncertainty going around with, with COVID and everything. Um, we, as Vanny kind of earlier in the season, um, maybe during, maybe during the pandemic, uh, how his contract negotiations were, negotiations were going. And he kind of just said it, it's been pushed kind of to the side just because of everything that's been going on. So it's really interesting that we're having these discussions now because I'm sure these are the same discussions that the Turner FC brass are having. I mean, it's, it's also interesting that Tony Gallagher uh, complimented our system as an alike to Liverpool's because I can't remember Liverpool ever making uh, five changes in the 88th minute and, and going to, I mean, I, I know Klopp's a bit of a madman, but, but that, uh, that doesn't. That, I don't remember that. I want, maybe I missed that game. Uh, um, I mean, I got a question. It's, it comes from our Slack chat, and that is, why is there no championship merch for us to buy in the CPL yet? But I mean, we can we can probably we can probably save that one that one for later. Oh, oh, and I've also got my lukewarm take, and this is. Um, oh. Uh, well, I mean, uh, people have been ragging on on Omar for his performance uh, uh, last game. And I think it's important to mention uh, that he was playing on the wrong side as cover for Zavs, who was more comfortable on the right. Uh, and uh, um, but uh, something's up. And uh, I don't, you know, I'm just using Omar as an example. But my lukewarm take is: Do you think certain players, especially veteran players, are starting to feel playing games without a crowd? It's starting to affect their performance. That that for me, um, <laughs> for everybody, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's that's kind of an interesting question. I mean, if you kind of go to do a job every week and it's it's generally the same, you've got kind of tons of fans screaming and and you, you kind of settle into a routine, and all of a sudden it's very different, and you it sounds like you're on a training pitch. Mm-hmm. It it probably is a little difficult. I think if you asked any of them that, they'd laugh you away from them and tell mm-hmm. tell you you're like absolutely not. I'm I'm. A professional like, athlete, I'm, exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like you have to think that that is generally the case. But I, I'm sure that it's in the head a little bit. Like you, it's things are things are kind of different here, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I will say Josie's best game did come in front of fans, and like very clearly interacted with the fans. And you know, I don't know how much that played into him getting that goal, but I think it pretty clearly at least some players are definitely missing. Uh, the fans. I mean, I'll, I'll add to that and say, remember when the Anibs and and their friends broke into the food building, and it was <laughs> it was, but it was you know the first thing out of the lips in the press conference for every TFC player, right? They gave us a boost. We massively appreciated that. 
um, you know, it, it just, it, it, it throws more kindling on the fire for me a little bit, because I think Charlie said it pretty eloquently, like, it's all about muscle memory, you know, Omar is playing on the wrong side of the pitch, and, and he's got a lot of miles on those legs, so, you know, we've been spoiled with Richie's adaptability, because you can put him in the next pitch over, and he's still gonna, you know, he's still gonna affect the game, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think that there is some I think that where there's smoke, there's fire with this. And and I do agree with Charlie that any player would tell me I'm an idiot for asking the question. But uh, I, that's why I'm asking you idiots the question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honestly just still kind of sad that Josie Alter's best game was that, that game against Montreal. <laughs> I mean, well, that, you know, never say never. There's there's still at least uh, two more games in the on the docket. Uh which brings us to uh, to TFC versus NYFC, a preview for our, our last 10 to 20 minutes. Um, I'll start. Uh, New York City is not scoring goals, but they're not conceding goals either. Yeah, that's certainly. It. I think that's the big stat that stood out to me. Seven games. Um, I think they've only conceded three goals. So, you know, they're they're a difficult team to score on. Uh, that's for sure. And only, I think, one loss since MLS is back too. So, this is kind of the New York City FC side that we've come to expect uh, the past couple of years versus, you know, what we saw in that short little tournament in Orlando, isn't it, Michael? Yeah, and um, I still think whenever New York City play Toronto FC, something's in the water. Um, <laughs> something's up, and it, you never know. So it's not something that TFC can kind of just look past. I know you have Columbus next, Um and it'll be interesting to see how Greg Vanny kind of rotates his squad heading into this one, especially with the amount of injuries that we learned about prior to, to last match. So um, we're going to talk to Greg Vanny, I guess, shortly after this. So we'll get some more details on that. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's going to be an important one just because they have to bounce back. They need to. It, it's been it's been a questionable month for Toronto FC to say the least for uh, after you know a strong start returning to play. So. This one's an important one for sure to get get the season back on track. And this is our rematch after they they turfed us out of the COVID Cup in the, mm-hmm. in the first round. Uh, um, Maxi Morales is still out, or is he questionable for this game? I think he's out. Um, he was an unused sub in their last game. He's only really played sparingly in the past few. So if there's any good news for Toronto FC, it's, it's that certainly. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I think these next two games, certainly against New York and, and Columbus, a uh, big measuring stick because we've seen Toronto play Montreal. We've seen them play Vancouver. We've seen them play DC. Uh, NYCFC in the in the COVID Cup was probably the last good team that Toronto FC played. Um, so I, I think we'll learn a lot about them over the past over the next couple of games, won't we, Charlie? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just making sure you're still listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been trying to figure out a way to get him into the conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys, you guys, um, probably know better than I do at this point. But uh, yeah, it's been kind of a kind of a weird year. Like you, you never really find a rhythm, and I think they've always, or at least TFC have always been a team that that play well when they hit a rhythm and they they mm-hmm. can play consistently, right? Um, and that that hasn't really happened. They always seem to kind of feed off of. Well, obviously they've always fed off of crowds, which we've talked about before, mm-hmm. um, and just consistency. And I think maybe now that you've kind of you're settled into your new home in Connecticut, and you've got at least a little bit of a, a slate of games, you might be able to to kind of figure out uh, kind of a longer term plan. And it's not about like getting through this little Canadian mini table anymore. It's about kind of fin- finishing out this season and and kind of hitting your stride before the playoffs. 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm curious to see how they match up against Columbus because, you know, we were talking about the Supporters' Shield and this could be the year that Columbus wins the Supporters' Shield for playing Cincinnati 100,000 times and just, <laughs> just ship it, you know, absolutely murdering them every time they play. So um, it, it'll be interesting. It'll it'll definitely be interesting. Um, I have a question. Yeah, I kind of want to just pose it to everybody. What's... What are you happy? What are you content with with the Toronto FC season this this year? Like, what what would be a disappointing Toronto FC campaign? Hmm. I mean, last week we all said third place or bust in MLS East. Uh, for me, anything less than a deep playoff run, I think, would be a disappointment. Uh, but but to go to go micro, I think. If we're still seeing these kind of Matt Doyle wrote a column, uh, his his weekly uh, MLS wrap up, and and one thing that I took away from it was he said these are the exact mistakes that Toronto FC should not be making as a veteran team. Uh, the kind of stuff that we saw in the DC game is absolutely rookie mistakes, and this is not a rookie team. So there's that that disconnect there. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be disappointed if we don't figure that out. And uh, it's interesting that we haven't mentioned Michael Bradley because Mitch, you actually said to me on the chat, you think one of the reasons that they're so disconnected between the attack and the defense is that there's no Michael Bradley on the pitch. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like they're, they've been organized very well the last couple of games. And uh, we know how important Michael Bradley is, you know, both in, in terms of what he says and what he does in, in that role. So um, I, I, ju- I just think that ever since Bradley went down, they just haven't been able to get that midfield and transitional mix right. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's a pretty big key going forward is you know Bradley getting back in, into that midfield. That's a problem, man, because you gotta you're gonna have to figure it out eventually because he's not gonna be around forever. No, especially especially at his age. So I think you gotta you have to if you can't cope without without Michael Bradley as at how old is he now? He's thirty three. I want to thirty three. Thirty two. Thirty three. Yeah, if. if if you can't figure out a, a way to transition from from defending to attacking without him, then then questions need to be asked because that's going to be a problem. I agree. I absolutely that, agree. That's a fair point, but I don't think it, it's there yet. I mean, I think Ozo was was he, Ozo was asked to play that Michael Bradley role where he was kind of dropping in to just collect everything. He was the one that was supposed to be on the ball. Um, he's okay at that role. I mean, we mm-hmm. we, we started the season obviously without Michael Bradley and. Uh, obviously, through these last couple of games, we had to play without Michael Bradley, and it hasn't looked it hasn't looked great. But they've done it without Michael Bradley in the past at times, and I think they've done it at a serviceable rate. And if you if you want to say that if they can't do it without Michael Bradley, then I think it, we're getting to that age where you kind of have to start turning the page. Um, but we have to enjoy what we have in front of us, right? So if you want to make that argument for Michael Bradley, then what about that argument for Josie Altador? Can you kind of turn the page on Josie Altador then if he's not giving you the production, even though he is playing? Um, it's just there's a, there's a billion different doors you can open if you say that <laughs> TFC have to kind of move on past Michael Bradley, I guess, if they can't be okay without him. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was absolutely. I, I was kind of going in a couple of different directions there, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. what I'm trying to say is that TFC are fine without Michael Bradley, and 
he is in this lineup most of the time. So I don't think we have to start asking questions about what TFC are without Michael Bradley. Um, there are more important questions to be asked when it comes to re- re- turning over this lineup. I guess. And what, yeah. what question is that, Michael? And, well, yeah, I'll talk to Josie Altador for sure is, is mm-hmm. the main the main question to ask me. Is it time for Io Akinola to get the start over Josie Altador? Um would he be more serviceable off the bench in sort of a load management kind of role uh, in the twilight of his of his career? I mean, he's 30 years old, but he's not showing like he's 30 years old. He's not mm-hmm. moving like he's 30 years old. Um, he's not staying on the pitch like he's 30 years old. So, um, yeah, if we want to talk about, you know, moving, turning the page and kind of worrying about what's next on this roster, I think we have to start with Josie Altador. It's definitely not Michael Bradley. Yeah, See, we've I, gone... I- well, we've gone a little over time here, so we should probably wrap up the discussion. But I did have one more point on the the Josie thing, and I think that's uh, I think Michael's right. I think you start the game with the guy who you're confident can give you 90 minutes. I know you have five subs now, but you know why are you why are you starting the game with a guy that you're not sure if you're going to have to take him off at halftime every game? You put that guy on in the second half when you're confident that he can play at least 45 and and give you some good minutes there. I think, I think you got to start with IO just from a, you know, from a planning standpoint and, and not getting yourself in trouble later on in the game. So uh, I think, I think at the moment, yeah, I think it should be IO that's starting until we can be confident that Josie Altador is back to at least very close to, to 90 minute fitness. But uh, Charlie, thank you so much for, for joining us this week. Thank you for uh, sticking around a little bit to nod <laughs> at all of our hot takes here. We, <laughs> we always appreciate an audience. Um, uh, thanks again to, to Kevin for providing us this, this brand new platform and Sophia for, for building it for us um, and everything else she does behind the scenes. Um, and of course, Jeff and Michael, thank you always uh to you guys, um, you know, plenty of exciting stuff coming up as, as Toronto FC starts their uh, Hartford uh, <laughs> portion of the season. So we're excited to, to talk about all of that. And uh, until next Tuesday, have a great week.